It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you for joining us for another Tuesday edition of our podcast. I'm very grateful that you would loan me a little bit of your time. Uh, Today is the Monday of Holy Week. We had Palm Sunday. um, Marks the beginning of Holy Week for Christians, as you may recall. Um, If you were fortunate enough to be at church every single time the doors were open, uh, like my parents had me there, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with palm branches laid in the roadway. He visualized that. It's a triumphant entry uh, fit for a king, but it would not last. Later that week, he was betrayed by a disciple, arrested, denied by other disciples, brought before government and religious leaders. He lost a voice vote to what is described as a notorious criminal named Barabbas. That gets overlooked from time to time, not to digress, that person that many people believe to be the son of God lost a voice vote to a criminal that some believe uh, was being held on murder charges. Uh, But he did, and he was crucified. His mother, Mary, watched as her son died on a cross. But to Christians, that is not the end of the story. They believe he rose on the third day and was on earth for a while, and then later ascended into heaven where he currently sits, right hand of God. That is what Christians believe, and that is the story of Easter. And at least in my household, it will take on something of additional significance. It's hard to say that because it's already extraordinarily significant to my wife, but it will probably be of an even heightened significance because... I finally got to do about the one thing that I really wanted to do before I died, which was take her to Israel. Um, And we went this past summer. I went when I was 17 and um, loved it. Life changing trip. Um, But I but I had been and uh, had a good recollection despite the years had gone by. But she had never gone. I wanted her to see all the places that she not only read about as a child, but still currently reads about and to see, you know, where the person that she believes in the most, the person that she lives her life for was born and lived and died and lived again. So it was something that I wanted to do. And we were uh, very fortunate to go with two other couples that are really fun to travel with and she got to see everything that she uh, believed and has read about and studied for her life. And one of the places that we visited was the site where Jesus asked his disciples, or at least some of them, who do they say that I am? That was his question. Who do they say that I am? 
It's a pretty thought-provoking question, uh, especially considering that he already knew the answer. So whenever somebody asks a question that they already know the answer to, there's, there's usually another reason for it. They're not doing it to gain information. Who do they say that I am? And then he followed that up by asking, who do you say that I am? And I wondered, it was on this little plateau, may not be the right description, but um, it was an elevated place. And we were, there was a little chapel or a little um, place with a covering on it. And that's where the scripture was read. And I remember thinking to myself while we were in Israel, what would the answer to that question be if the question was reversed? What if... Jesus or God were to ask you, who do they say that you are? What is your identity? By what or by whom are you known? Oh, what he said was, who do they say that I am? What if he said, who do they say that you are? We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You know, when I was a kid, being drugged to church, not quite enough for it to work, but certainly every time that the doors were open, uh, sometimes the Sunday school teacher would draw the analogy, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would you be convicted? Uh, maybe that's why I wound up becoming a prosecutor, because all I heard was about trials when I was going to Sunday school. But, you know, when I think about you know certain people I know, in my life, like, you know, my wife, for instance, uh, the jury would not be out very long. She, she would be convicted. If the charge was, are you a Christian, she would be convicted. And so when this poll came out from the Wall Street Journal indicating uh, values like religion, uh, patriotism, family, hard work, uh, they're decreasing in significance in our country. And really, in the last two decades, the decline has been precipitous. So I started kind of wondering why. Why do our fellow citizens not value a belief in a higher power like they used to, or the love of country like they used to, or hard work, or want to have children like they used to? But it was really the views on religion that caught my attention the most. I mean, they're all important, but it was the views on religion, because sometimes your views on religion can explain why your views on other things have changed. So, does that poll mean that people don't believe what they used to believe? Does it mean that religion has changed? It's been redefined? And regardless of what the explanation is, why? Why has there been a change? I still think for many people, their spiritual beliefs are the most important part of their lives. It is what guides their conduct, their thoughts on life and death, on how to treat other people. Uh, but I also think our country runs the risk of going the route of, of Western Europe, which has seen a marked decline in people and their outward expressions of faith. And so, again, the question becomes why? And 
part of it to me, I'm not smart enough to be able to explain the whole thing, but I'll just tell you what I think and people can tell me how wrong I am. But part of it to me is the marriage of late between religion and politics. And it happens on both sides. It's true on both sides. There are ministers who talk more about political matters than they do spiritual matters. Um, but they only seem to talk on one side of the aisle. Rare is the minister who calls out issues on both sides. I've seen ministers endorse candidates. I've seen ministers allow themselves to be used by candidates, by politicians. And therein lies the conundrum. You know, if your religion is super important to you, then it's going to inform and instruct every aspect of your life, including your political views. I mean, I would not want a, a set of religious beliefs that was so inconsequential that it had no impact on how I treated other people or how I viewed this issue or that issue. I mean, that to me seems like a pretty small set of religious beliefs if you just keep it narrowly confined to what you do for about an hour and a half on, you know, Friday or Saturday or Sunday or whatever day you happen to go to your house of worship. So that's on the one side that we... We do acknowledge our religious views impact other aspects of our life. But I wonder if the politics dominates the religious teachings. I mean, there, there are churches who you know have politicians um, only from one side of the aisle, uh, whether it be Democrat politicians going to certain churches or Republican. I mean, my preference would be um, to have no politicians at all. I just I think when you mix politics with anything, whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, politics wins and everything else loses. There's an old line from I think it's from the British um, politician, theologian, G.K. Chesterton, which does run through my mind from time to time. And it goes like this. This is a paraphrase, but it's pretty close. It's not that Christianity has been tried and failed. It is that Christianity is hard and therefore rarely tried. I'll say it again. It's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting or failed. It is that Christianity is really hard and therefore rarely tried. Think about it. It is hard to love your enemies. And there is not a single person in politics who preaches that. It is hard to pray for those who persecute you. It's really hard to do that. It's hard to help the poor with no strings attached. It's hard to forgive. I mean, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says 70 times, seven times. So I grew up thinking, well, all I got to do is forgive my sisters 490 times and then I can start paying them back. But I think the 70 times seven was like not a real number. It's uh, illustrative that you just have to keep on doing it. So I am to the point in life um, where I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. I'm not averse to hearing a sermon, but an authentically lived life is the most persuasive thing in the world. Someone who lives out his or her spiritual beliefs as fervently as they can. That's what I want to see. I, I know the stories. I know, um, you know, thank you to my parents for dragging me up to church and uh, thank you to God or my gene pool or whatever happened to give me a decent memory. I remember the stories. I remember the verses. What I have no cross-examination for, no scrutiny for, is an authentically lived life, which is why I am thankful for the people in my life, like my wife and my parents and many of my friends 
uh, you know, Mary Langston, Sharia, uh, and scores of others who actually live out. They talk less and live it out more. And it really does influence every facet of their life. It's not something they just drag out when it's convenient. And there is no cross-examination for an authentically lived life. Just, I, I, do, I do not have the ability to impeach an authentically, sacrificially lived life. So, it is the week leading to Easter, and hopefully it is a time for us to reflect on that story, devoid of any politics or anything else. It is a story of sacrifice and love and renewal and rebirth. And it'd be great if we could focus on that. And it's hard. It is hard. I get that. But I think if you want to see the numbers go up and you want to see the country embrace things that last longer than a political cycle, um, there's something that's lasted for more than 2,000 years. Not only is it Easter week, uh, it also happens this year to be Sunday is the closing day of the Masters Golf Tournament. And so with the Masters Golf Tournament, um, that is not the only time, I think, of Rob Chapman. Um, It is more than just the week of Masters. But I think about him a lot this week, uh, in part because he loved Augusta National. He loved the tournament. Uh, He loved golf, the history of golf, the honor of golf, the character of golf, the rules of golf. But he also loved getting to share those experiences uh, with others. And one of the last times I saw uh, Rob Chapman before he passed away suddenly was at the little golf course where we play in Spartanburg. If memory serves me correctly, we were there for, for Mother's Day luncheon. So I've been after church, go to church, Mother's Day, you know, all the moms have, you know, gifts or flowers or corsages. And it's the day we set aside to honor our moms. And I run into Rob in the buffet line. And of course, the conversation immediately turns to golf um, because that's what it always immediately turned to. And we were both in pursuit of perfecting our games. And Rob told me he had just gotten a lesson. And I thought, well, that's, that's great. I mean, that you were able to, you know, on Mother's Day weekend, Friday or Saturday to go get a golf lesson. But that's not what he meant by I just got a lesson. What he meant was that he had just gotten a lesson that morning, Mother's Day morning, Sunday morning. He went and got a golf lesson. Now I'm sure he made it to church and I am sure that his Wife uh, felt honored on Mother's Day, but he literally, if I have this down right in my head, because I remember it inspired me. Anybody who can pull off going to get a golf lesson on the morning of Mother's Day. So there we are in the buffet line, and he was showing me this new move that mimicking a swing with a club. He is focused on his trail knee. If you're a right-handed golfer, that would be your right knee. And yeah, I'm sure his family looked at him like he was crazy. And I know my wife and mom uh, looked at me like I was crazy because that's generally how they look at me. And there's these two grown men mimicking a golf swing in the buffet line for Mother's Day brunch at, at the golf course. Uh, Mother's Day is a strange time to be showing a golf move unless you're a golfer. And then it always seems like the right time. This week, 
I played around with uh, Rob's cousin, Norman Chapman, who, truth be told, is and was, well, I'll stick to myself, better golfer than I will ever be. Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe possibly uh, as good as Rob, maybe beat him a time or two. And we were reminiscing about Rob, and he told me a story that included Butch Harmon and Scotty Cameron. And for those of you who don't follow golf, Butch Harmon is one of the greatest golf instructors of all time. He has worked with some of the biggest names ever in golf. Think about the big names in golf, and I'll bet you they have been to see Butch Harmon for a lesson. I would go see him for a lesson, but I would have to sell my house, and I'd have to sell all my wife's jewelry, which I'm not saying I won't do, but he is, I would say, I'm not sure how much he teaches anymore, but one of the premier golf instructors of all time is Butch Harmon. And, of course, Scotty Cameron is the world's leading putter designer and manufacturer. His putters are like highly prized works of art. And Rob was friends with both of them, along with a host of other famous people. But he also was friends with caddies and with the young people who worked in the cart room, cleaning up the golf carts cleaning up the clubs. He was friends with local law enforcement, friends with local prosecutors, friends with whoever he came in contact with. So, yes, he counted scores of famous people among his friends, including Butch Harmon and Scotty Cameron, and also names that I wouldn't recognize if I heard and you wouldn't recognize if you heard, and he treated every one of them the same respect and grace, kindness. And those who have been to Augusta National, which is where the Masters is played, or if you've ever been fortunate enough to play it, uh, those folks refer to um, the grounds there as a slice of heaven. That's what they refer to it as. And if you've been to it, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous place, so full of history and tradition and immaculate and a slice of heaven. So Rob is getting more than a slice right now, but the rest of us will get a chance this week uh, on television to see that course and all the history and all the drama and all the tradition unfold yet again. And I will watch, as I always do, and think of the quiet, humble man who used to wear his green jacket as inauspiciously as one can wear a green jacket off the 18th green. He isn't there anymore, or maybe he is. I'll see you next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.